This is from Genesis chapter 18, starting in verse 16 through 1929. Then the men rose up from there and looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham was walking with them to send them off. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I've chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me, and if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom, while Abraham was still standing before the Lord. Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike? Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare the whole place on their account. And Abraham replied, Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, although I am but dust and ashes. Suppose the fifty righteous are lacking five. Will you destroy the whole city because of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. And he spoke to him yet again and said, Suppose forty are found there. And he said, I will not do it on account of the forty. Then he said, Oh, may the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak. Suppose thirty are found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Now behold, I have ventured to speak and speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the twenty. Then he said, Oh, may the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak only this once. Suppose ten are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the ten. As soon as he had finished speaking to Abraham, the Lord departed, and Abraham returned to his place. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. And he said, Now behold, my lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet, and then you may rise early and go on your way. They said, however, No, but we shall spend the night in the square. Yet he urged them strongly, so that they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he prepared a feast for them and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, both young and old, all the people from every quarter. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. But Lot went out to them at the doorway and shut the door behind him and said, Please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. Now behold, I have two daughters who have not had relations with any man. Please, let me bring them out to you and do to them whatever you like. Only do nothing to these men inasmuch as they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand aside. Furthermore, they said, This 
one came in as an alien and already is acting like a judge. Now we will treat you worse than them. So they pressed hard against Lot and came near to break the door. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. They struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they, were, they wearied themselves trying to find the doorway. Then the two men said to Lot, Whom else have you here? A son-in-law and your sons and your daughters and whomever you have in the city? Bring them out of the place, for we are about to destroy this place because of their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, and said, Up, get up out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But he appeared to his sons-in-law to be jesting. When morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. So the men seized his hand and the hand of his wife and the hands of his two daughters, for the compassion of the Lord was upon him, and they brought him out and put him outside the city. When they had brought them outside, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you and do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords. Now, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have magnified your loving kindness, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, for the disaster will overtake me, and I will die. Now, behold, this town is near enough to flee to, and it is small. Please, let me escape there. Is it not small? That my life may be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this request also, not to overthrow the town of which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the town was called Zor. The sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zor. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But his life from from behind him, but his wife from behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Now Abraham arose early in the morning and went to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, and toward all the land of the valley, and he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land ascended like the smoke of a furnace. Thus it came about, when God destroyed the cities of the valley, that God remembered Abraham, and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow, when he overthrew the cities of which, in which Lot lived. This is God's word. You may be seated. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. Um, before I go and turn to prayer, before we look at this, I remember reading this as like a 10-year-old and thinking, this is awesome. Angels, fire, brimstone. As a parent, you read it a little different, don't we? Um, or as we're older, we're sh- hesitant. I would ask you if you're a child, whether you're an adult, it applies to you. And uh, I am going to try to fixate not on Sodom and Gomorrah, but on two men. And two men, one choosing to live his life dependent upon the word of God and Lot who for a lifetime chose to live his life by what he saw, bearing the consequences of which he finds himself now in Genesis chapter 19. So whether it be you a son, a daughter, a father, a mother, a wife, 
a man or a woman, there are things to be contemplated. Uh, I find it interesting in this last present time, and I say this with watching the children grow up, and I even find it in myself, there's this desire to want to, to integrate, not, that's not the right word, integrate, but to, to fellowship with the world around me in a way as to reach it. They can tip to the point where you're unaware that you're actually integrating your life within the world. And Lot has found himself integrating his life into Sodom. And so with that before us, I know we all trying to figure out how we live our lives, one, honoring the Lord, but then also reaching the city around us, I think. I think this has it, not just an ancient truth, but a present reality. And I think it sets us well for the table before us to gather in fellowship and remembering of what Christ has done for us. So with that, let us pray. Lord, we know that you are a just God, just as Abraham reminded you of, that you deal righteously. You do not look over the wicked, but you also are gracious, not desiring to um, pour out your wrath on all. You have given humanity the chance to repent and walk in paths of righteousness, which is Christ Jesus. But we recognize that just as you came down in the days of Abraham to consider the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah, you have come in present time in, the, in Christ Jesus to this world. And it was at that appearing you did not come to judge, but to provide a means of redemption. And as you ascended in victory over the grave and over the cross... You promised to your disciples that you would come again. And when you came again, the form of which you're appearing would be different than a servant, but as a king. And so, Lord, while we wait, we recognize that uh, we, are, we are not much different than this situation we find ourselves in this morning. And so, Lord, as we considered ourselves this morning, I pray that you convict us where we do not align with your righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a verse in this story that strikes me. It's Genesis 19, verse 15. When morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, and you will, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. The next line, the first three ver- words in the next verse state, but he hesitated. Remember back in 1980, which I don't remember because I wasn't alive. I remember the, the news reporting when Mount St. Helens was about to blow. There was a man who lived at the edge of the mountain who refused to go. Even when the scientists said, it's going to blow. And if you do not move, you will be consumed by its eruption. The warnings proved to be valid. When a man sees a tsunami coming, he takes his family and he runs. Lot is not unfamiliar with who the Lord is. Nor is he unfamiliar with his promises and his ability To do that which the angels warn him of. And so when he heard the words, run. He had so integrated his life within Sodom. He hesitated. He lingered. He delayed. The story of Sodom and Gomorrah isn't about Sodom and Gomorrah. It is. But it is about two men. And for the sake of time, Genesis 18 and 19 consume a 24-hour period. The author wants us to recognize this. For the two angels that appear before Lot also appeared before Abraham. When Abraham saw the Lord and the two angels, he rushes out to meet them. Builds a credible feast. Tells the wife, get the nice cow and he 
she cooks it up, prepares him for these men. When Lot, you see the same response. He falls down and he greets them. He says, behold, my lords, come inside. I am your servant. He feeds them. Clearly, the writer wants us to see two men who have chosen two ways of life and to consider the trajectories of where these, their decisions have led them. Led them. The first time we were introduced to Lot it was quite some time ago. It was in Genesis 13. As the writer began to tell the story, he focused his lens on Abraham for the last five chapters. And Lot has seemed, after making his own decisions to go his own way, has been kind of one where the author left off letting us know we'll get caught back up with him. But now we find ourselves actually seeing how he is living and how his decisions have panned out. But I need to remind you, Lot had every opportunity. In fact, when God called Abraham into the promised land, Lot had a very difficult beginning. His father, Haran, died early. And so his uncle, Abraham, took him along when he went into the promised land. And Lot, while his life initially started off, the kindness that Abraham provided to Lot as he grew up became the means by which Lot became incredibly successful. As he grew to adulthood in Genesis 13, his wealth was so substantial. In Genesis 13, 5, the last occurrence where we saw Lot and Abraham fellowship. In verse 5, Lot, who went with Abraham, also had flocks, herds, and tents. He was so resourceful, just as Abraham was, and the land could not sustain them while dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together. You got to hand it to Abraham. Because Abraham takes his nephew. And, and, and mind you, Abraham's far from perfect, right? He makes bad choices along the way. But through his journey, he is a man who is trying to depend upon the Lord and his word. And Lot reaps the benefits of Abraham's journey with the Lord, so significantly that as Abraham becomes blessed and resourced and financially wealthy, so does Lot. But as their resources get so significant, paths need to separate. And Abraham, not wanting to lose Lot, his nephew, he actually calls nephew or Lot, not his nephew, but when he becomes an adult, his brother. And knowing that the land of the promised land was given to Abraham, Abraham says to Lot, choose some of it. Let us enjoy what God has promised to us together. Genesis 13, 9, he says, Abraham says to Lot, Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right. And if to the right, then I will go to the left. And Lot has a decision to make. Do I stay in the land where God dwells, where God is worshipped, where God has made his promises, or do I separate entirely and go to a whole new place? And this is what Lot chose. He would have none of Abraham or his family. And so in Genesis 3.10, Lot lifted up his eyes, and he saw the valley of the Jordan. that It was well watered everywhere, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, preluding events to come. But that land was like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go to Zor. So Lot chose for himself the valley of the Jordan eastward in order to separate himself from Abraham. Parents, you know. You know there will be a day that when your children come to of age, and they will separate. And I speak to you children. There is a way that you separate from your family that is honoring to the Lord and lives in a way that actually will leave you empty. Lot has, or excuse me, Abraham has brought Lot up to be financially resourced with everything that he needs to prosper. And so when we get to Genesis 19, we're going to see the trajectory of Lot's decisions. 
and find out where he's left off. But before this, the camera switches back from Lot to Abraham, in Genesis 13, the writer reminded us, reminded us the land which Lot chose, which was outside of the land which God dwelled, where he was worshipped, or where he made his promises made. Genesis 13, 13. The author reminds us that Lot chose a, a society where the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. Lot's decision in Genesis 13 was stunning. Because everything that he became was because of result of the promises of God, and he left it all to go his own way. So when you turn your Bibles to Genesis 19, we are looking at the conclusion of Lot's decisions. And all I want to do is ask this question, because I think it's important. Why in the world did God save him? Why in the world would God save a man who left him? He had brought him up to the place of blessing, provided a family to give him the means to be successful in life, and he left it all. Why in the world did God choose to save Lot? And as we do that and ask that question, let's just go through again and watch how integrated Lot had made his life with Sodom and Gomorrah. So that that question becomes more significant because he has fully integrated himself within the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Read with me. I really only have one point with a convictional response. Let's read the deliverance of Lot. Look with me at Genesis chapter 19, verses 1 through 3. Now the angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. And he said, Now behold, my lords, please turn aside into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. The writer, when he writes Genesis 19, doesn't want us to forget about Genesis 18. This is why I alluded to it earlier. Abraham did the exact same thing. But when Abraham, the difference... When Abraham invites these three men into his house, they go in willingly. Lot, when he makes the invitation to these two men, what do they do? Look what they say. No. No. He's going to have to persuade them into his house. Initially, the, writer, or the reader knows these two men are two different men. And the relationships between these two men, between divine beings, is different as a result of the decisions that they've made. They said, however, no. But we shall spend the night in the square. As Dan read earlier on, and in Genesis chapter 13, the Lord himself said Sodom was wicked. And Lot knows it. You stay out here, things don't go well. Please come into my house. Look at verse 3. Yet he urged them strongly. He knows what not a good choice. So they turned aside to him and entered the house. And he prepared a feast for them. And baked unleavened bread and they ate. And the situation that's interesting to me is that while we know up to this point that Sodom and Gomorrah is exceedingly wicked... The descriptions that are placed before us to expose that wickedness is very short. It's really two verses in which we see the response of the city. In which how they respond to these men that Lot has now taken into their house. Look at verse 4. And this is where we begin to see Lot's like integration into the city. How he perceives himself in the midst of the city before these citizens of the city. Before they laid down, the men in the city, the men of Sodom, look at the layering here. The men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, not just old, but young and old, all the people from every quarter. And they called to Lot and said to him, this is a scary situation. 
It's not only to have one part of the city in front of your door, but you have the entire city before your door. And it's not just the young, it's the old. I remember being 20. We tended to be a little bit more ambitious. But we have a city that not only the young are ambitious in their knowledge, but you also have the established, persuaded by the same standard of living or response, going before Lot's house. And they call out to a man that they know. Verse 5, And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. Bring them out so we might be brutal, abusive, violent, barbaric. The standards of hospitality in the city were eliminated. There was a, there's this uh, loyalty towards one another that they have. And they bond together to oppress another couple men. And as a response, Lot's going to respond to the situation as they have taken refuge into his house. Look at verse 6. But Lot went out to them at the doorway and shut the door behind him. Like the Larry, like, don't stay out here overnight. It's not safe. He knows what the situations unfolding before him is not good. He shuts the door to create the barrier. And notice what he says in verse 7. The occurrence of the words are important, at least in the book of Genesis. Abraham once said, Lot, yeah, you're my nephew. You're my brother. Lot has separated his relationship with Abraham, has decided specifically to dwell in a place in Sodom. And now look what he calls them. Verse 7. Please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. He has so integrated his life with these people that they have now become his own. I find this striking, and you might think that I'm overreaching. I think that the author does these things with the words that they choose. If you understand the context from Genesis 12 and 13, Lot chose specifically to separate his life from where God dwelled, from his uncle Abraham, to live in the land of Sodom, where evil men lived and godlessness prospered. And he has now forged, so to speak, a new brotherhood. He thinks, he thinks he's in. He thinks that his response to the city, because now he's one of them, They'll listen to him. I remember playing, I've said this before, and I guess the hardest season of my life, trying to figure out how to live my life before the Lord honorably and learning how to like associate to my peers in high school was on the soccer field because they talked a certain way, they spoke a certain way, they dressed women a different way, Use Friday nights a different way. And there was just this longing in my own high school mind wanting to be cool with that. And what are the balances but like being cool with them but not separating yourself from the very righteous standards of God? And so you start to tiptoe into what they do thinking that you'll be accepted by it. And all along you realize after a while you were never in. And they know that your faithfulness will only go thus far. And they know, Lot. They know where he came from. They knew who he once worshipped. And look what he says. In his attempts to protect these two men, he acts in an abusive way. Now behold, I have two daughters. When Abraham was faced with five kings, what did he do? He gathered his men and he conquered five kings. Why? Because the Lord is my refuge and he'll protect me. Lot is a different man. He's a coward. He separated himself 
from the presence of the Lord. He has a weak relation at best with him that he's thrown out the women, his, his very own daughters. I've heard this preached like he was doing hospitality. Hospitality was a higher responsibility than his own family. No, when you look at the political system, what he does now here is egregious. He should be the man going in front of the men. Yeah, if you read anything about Genesis, there is this, this issue that's placed before the reader about men taking upon the responsibilities that God has given you. For when you don't, the consequences often hurt women. Only woman that I know that, in spite of the men, is Hagar, who does well with this. There's this passiveness that's put before us with the men in Genesis. Adam, Abraham was plagued with it. Lot as well. Behold, I have two daughters who have not had relations with men. Please let me bring them to, out to you and do to them whatever you like. Only do not, nothing to these men inasmuch as they have come under the shelter of my roof. Look what they, look what they say in verse 10. He thinks he's in with them. Right? I'm one of you. I've lived here, we think, probably like, like 15 years. Think about it. 15 years within the city, you think you got something. Within this, within the, at least some say, brothers, but they stand. They said, stand aside. Furthermore, they said, this one came in as an alien. Lot, we know who you are. You're not one of us. And in fact, and already he's acting like a judge. We don't like that. So what are we going to do? We're going to treat you worse than them. You're second. So they pressed hard against Lot and came near to break the door. I mean, like, if you look at the two individuals, Abraham, who decided to live his life trusting in the Lord, you have Lot. The only refuge that he has is his house. And they're going to beat it down. Abraham, he's a sojourner wandering through the promised land as well but he has God who is his refuge, and he takes on kings. Abraham, when the Lord asks him to do it, he does it immediately. Last week, God says, I'll make you so prosperous, all the nations of the world will be blessed of you. Please get circumcised. And his whole family of men obey. The faithfulness of Abraham has impacted his whole family. Lot has no impact city around him cares less about him. So maybe, maybe his sons-in-laws, maybe they'll, maybe he's made an impact there. Verse 10, the angels were intervened. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and they shut the door. They struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness so he brought the angels to, to protect them, but now the angels have flipped it, and they're protecting him, both small and great, so that they were weary themselves to find the doorway. And now it starts to ramp up. Every 10-year-old's like, yes! But I want you to notice Lot's response as things come to light in his mind. 15 years of investment in living in this land. He came from a place where he had everything, and he is going to utterly leave this Sodom city with nothing. The first thing is he's going to lose his sons and his sons-in-laws. To the two men, the angel said to Lot, verse 12, Who else have you here? The son-in-law and your sons and your daughters and whomever you have in the city. Bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because they, their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. At this point, he doesn't hesitate, right? He doesn't hesitate. He takes the, the word seriously. Look at verse 14. He went out and he spoke to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters. And he said, up, up, get out of this place. For the Lord will destroy the city. But he appeared to his sons-in-law 
it appeared to his sons-in-law to be jesting, making a joke. You want people to take God seriously in your own life? You take God seriously in your life. The way that you impact the city around the way, then, you impact your family for the glory of God is you take God seriously in your life. And your family will see it. When destruction's coming and you say, we've got to take God seriously now, they'll laugh at you. Because there's no reason to believe you. And so he's going to lose his two sons-in-laws. Abraham, through his wandering, developing faith, impacts every man in his household. Lot, no one. Not the city around him or the sons-in-law his daughters have engaged to. He has integrated his life fully amongst them and they don't take him seriously. Verse 15. So when the morning dawned, Angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your daughters, two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. Why does he hesitate? Because he has integrated everything that he has into this city. His family, his resources, and he's got to lose it all. So he lingers. How does Lot get out of the city? Does he run? No. It takes two divine beings, angels, to drag him out. This is how integ- Why does God save him? Why? Look at him. The men seized his hand in the hand of his wife and the hand of his two daughters. For the compassion, what? For the compassion of the Lord was upon him. And they bought, brought him out. And put him outside the city, and they're going to say, run. Verse 17. When they had brought them outside, one said, escape for your life. Do not even look behind. You do not stray anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains, or you will be swept away. Maybe at this point, okay, they're, they're serious. Man, this whole thing. Lot is just this passive, unwilling, unbelieving careless man maybe I shouldn't say unbelieving he's just like he's just go verse 18 he says oh no my lords not fast enough now behold your servant has found favor in your sights I I recognize I've been a problem and you have magnified your loving kindness which you have shown me by saving my life but I can't I can't escape to the mountains for the disaster will overtake me and I will die and now he begins to petition. Remember Abraham? He petitions before the Lord. God grants him along the way every request. Lot's going to do it. But remember, when, when Abraham prayed, he's like, if there's ten, will you spare the city? All that Lot can do is pray for himself. That's all he cares about. Now behold, this town is not near enough, or is near enough to flee to. It's small. Please let me escape there. Is it not small that my life may be saved? The angel said to him, Behold, I grant you this request also not to overthrow the town of which you have spoken. Hurry, run, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the town was called Zor. In the next several verses, we're going to see step by step the consequences of Lot's decisions. He's going to lose his sons-in-law, all of his resources, all the, all the things that which were as dear to him, including his wife. The sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zor. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities, all the valley all the inhabitants of the city, what grew on the ground. And the only salvation which God had provided for them is, run, don't look back. You just, remember, what took Lot to Sodom and Gomorrah? His eyes. Can you run without looking back? Can you just trust in the word of the Lord? 
in his role as a husband, has not discipled his wife. And she looks. And she became a pillar of salt. And Lot finds himself, in verse 30, once he had so many things, he couldn't even live in the same land that Abraham had. In verse 30, he finds himself in a cave with his two daughters. Lost everything. We haven't answered the question, why did God spare Lot? Because he, he's not shown a lot of willingness. He acknowledges the mercy of God. Look at verse 27. Here's the answer. And it comes back to Abraham, who had just got done interceding for the city. Verse 27. Now Abraham arose early in the morning and went to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah. I think he's going in error. Did the Lord answer my prayer? And towards the land of the valley and saw, and behold, the smoke of the land ascended like a smoke of a furnace. Thus it came about, look at verse 29, when God destroyed the cities of the valley that God remembered Lot. No, that's not what it says. God remembered Abraham. Why in the world did God spare Lot? Because of the prayers which Abraham prayed over the city. And as the wrath of God poured out on the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot's relationship with Abraham was remembered. And God remembered Abraham, and you saw the compassion of the Lord towards him. And Lot acknowledged it, and he sent Lot out of the midst of the the overthrow. And when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived... Why did God spare Lot? Because of the intercessory prayer of Abraham. If there's 50, 45, 40, 30, 10, will you spare? And God not only spares Lot, he spares the city of Zor. He answered his prayers. Sodom and Gomorrah is not a story about Sodom and Gomorrah. It's about a man who is righteous, who prays, interceding on behalf of the city, Abraham. And God, hearing his prayers, answered him by sparing Lot. In the New Testament, there's a passage that James writes that the the prayers of the righteous man accomplish much. One of the ways that I think this passage becomes convictional It's for that perspective, which I turn to in our conviction response as we prepare our hearts now for the table. The way that you impact the city around us, schools, the workplace, is not by integration, but by walking with the Lord and praying intercedingly over them and for them. For the prayers of the righteous man accomplish much. I'm not saying we don't serve the city or do good for the city. But I find that this ancient truth, which gets carried over to the New Testament as a result of what Christ has done for us, that now in light of Christ's sacrifice, we become heirs of Christ. We are interceding now because of his victory over sin and death given the rare opportunity to make requests. See, when we did praying for the city a couple weeks ago, I was encouraged by you. For the way that which we fight for the city is through our prayers, recognizing that we can't change the city by these The heart of a man is changed by the power of God, not by what I can do. Abraham chose to walk 
and trusting himself in the words of God and something he can't see. And it changed his whole family. Every single man in his household is changed. Lot has no man. He has two daughters who will later abuse him. And so it comes to a convictional response. I talk to you, fathers. Intercede for your children and for your wife, for the workplace, the city around you in prayer. The power of God is best demonstrated through Him. I pray for you as wives as well, to the same standard which stands for your husbands or for your future spouses, for your children is accomplished through prayers. We fight a different way. We fight interceding for the city around us in prayers. And then we go serve it. Often serve it without any prayers. Can I go to First Peter? We did this last summer went through 1 Peter. Because Sodom and Gomorrah is described as being wicked. Exceedingly wicked. We get one verse of how wicked it is. And it becomes a standard throughout the rest of the scriptures which show us, like, it's the definition of evil. But the world has always been evil. It's been a fact is how do God's people live in the midst of a sinful society? And First Peter says, us, I think, similar things that Sodom and Gomorrah teaches us from Lot. And so what I want to do is I want to consider the table. And before we take it, pray for our families, for one another, in light of these things. Look at, as we're all tempted to integrate our lives with the city around us, Paul, Peter encourages. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves. Well, how? Also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Man, the world around you wants to walk a different way. But the people of God trust in his word and walk accordingly. Verse 3, For the time already has passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having perused a course of sensuality and lust and drunkenness and carousing and drinking and parties and abominable idolatries. You once did that. That's sufficient. It should be done. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation and they malign you. They're surprised that you don't run with them anymore. But they will give an account to him who already, who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Verse 6. Well, how are the righteous to live in the midst of a wicked society. The gospel has for this purpose been preached, even to those who are dead. The significance of preaching the gospel to a wicked world, God is gracious. Repent. That, that, through, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment, careful how you live your life in the midst of the world, sober, for the purpose of prayer. Peter wants the people of God to pray. That is one area over the last two years I've been convicted of, is the power of prayer. We think we can do more for the city with our hands than 
through prayer. And that's why we don't pray. We pray for a church plant because we know that God is the one who creates churches. Gifted men or women are helpful, but they are not to what be what is depended upon. God does these things. And so we pray for our families, for how they learn to walk within the school hallways as they're tempted to go back to Gentile living. Verse 8, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multiple of sins. Love one another. Be hospitable to one another without complaint as each one has received a, a specific gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And whoever speaks is to do so as one who's speaking the utterances of God, who serves is to do so as one who's serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Abraham chose to live his life fully dependent upon the promises that God gave him. Lot, I'm going to try it my way. And he lost everything. When we sit before the table, we humbly acknowledge that we could not work for our salvation or establish a righteousness that would somehow glorify God. Rather, we were rebels. And as a result of our sin, we were due the wrath of God, but he was compassionate towards us. And so I would invite you, if you have responded to the gospel, admitting that you are a sinner, trust yourselves to live by the word of God and have expressed that through public profession of faith, through baptism, I invite you to take that with me this morning. But before we do that, can we pray and consider for ourselves Are we walking by faith? Are we integrating our lives with the city around us? And one way to test that, are we praying? Interceding for it. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the grace that you do give us, that you indeed were compassionate to Lot. Thank you for Abraham who who did intercede. And I know there have been many who have prayed for me to which I am grateful for my grandparents and my family, for those in this room. Lord, let us be known for our prayers and trust in the promises that you've given us. The prayers of a righteous one accomplish much. And we are so grateful for Christ Jesus, who sits at the right hand of the Father, who intercedes daily for us on our behalf. And so with that in mind, we are grateful to remember what he has done and to consider for ourselves where we're at at the table. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll have the ushers come forward.